So for me, I really wanted to know the Gospel of Matthew. So early in my life, I would spend a lot of time in Matthew because I'd say, I got to tell my family. My family needs to hear this verse. So kind of like we're talking about, what's the big line? What happens right before the big line? And then what was the result of the big line? So that helps you build context around the verse. And then that helps you understand what chapter you're in. And then that kind of helps you remember the chapters. And then that helps you just kind of start in the same way that we have this framework here. The skeleton are uh, the four cards, the four doors, God, man, Jesus, and sinners. That's your skeleton. And you're always going back to that skeleton. Every conversation, like we've talked about several different ways to approach it. We've talked about uh, just being quick and evangelistic, starting with just one verse and building a conversation around a verse, somebody making a comment and asking questions. We've talked about long, drawn-out uh, process of probing and pulling out of people, what do you believe, and asking questions. But no matter which direction you go, whether it's with children, coworkers, or no matter where you go, this is the skeleton that's always in the back of your mind. So instead of teaching you, and we've kind of talked about this, instead of teaching you a gospel presentation, right? And there, you've heard so many of them over the years. And like, I remember we used to have a gospel presentation that was exactly 23 minutes long, always. It was 23 minutes long. And that was for more of a sit down. So like if somebody would visit the church and we would go sit down and visit them, thank them for coming and find out a little bit about their church background. And where, where have you been? Where'd you, you know, where'd you come to us from? And we would sit and we would just talk about, uh, you know, it was the same thing. It was, it was five points instead of four. It was grace, God, man, Christ, and faith. So in that case, we led with grace. So now it's thinned down and we're talking about God, man, Jesus, sinners. The problem with the system is, when you have a gospel presentation, it can sound scripted, it can feel scripted, like it just comes off, um, it's inflexible, right? So even if there's a, maybe a door there to ask some probing questions, pull some stuff out, um, it's easy to get slavish to the presentation. And it's like, let me get back to you on that point. I need to stay on track with what I'm saying. So, you guys know the word. Um, in your conversations, so um, I'm, I'm assuming that you are m- memorizing scripture, even if not formally, right? So, did you grow up with like a verse pack, right? Do you, I'm too old for a verse pack. I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have a verse pack. But um, what's a verse that comes to mind that's not one of our verses on a card? So if I had to say right now, what's your favorite verse? Hebrews 10, 36. We have need of endurance so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. Mine's really close to that that I use every October of every year. Hebrews 10, 31. Because 1031 is Halloween. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So every Halloween, that's my verse. Okay, so uh, you have another one that comes to mind? Um, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, and it says more than the judgment thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then 13 is pretty good too, and no creature is hidden from his sight. Is that your favorite book, Hebrews? That's the one that's in the yellow. Yeah. <laughs> so right so now it's, it's my top of mind. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it, it's good to just try. It's good to have a broad 
knowledge of Scripture, right? But you need to have two. You need to have a gospel and really an epistle. Like down. Know it well so that you could be put on the spot at any time and know what it says. So, me personally, you ask anybody, they'll tell you something else. But know a gospel. But for me, if they're religious, it's Matthew. If they're uh, unchurched, it's John. For those two different reasons. And then Romans. And so, um, kind of tying back into as a young man living life. And when my mentor says, oh, that's... That's Romans 5. That's Romans 13. That had an impact on me. If you could know just Romans, because see, the goal is to get their nose in the Bible. So he is always quoting Romans. What is the big deal about Romans? And so that's the thing. I I just try to tell people, have you read it? Like, you should go read it. Read Romans. And then when you see them again, hey, have you read Romans yet? And then that's just like my thing. That's, that's my greeting. Hey, how's it going? Have you read Romans yet? <laughs> no, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. And then when we have conversations and they're like talking about the world, that's Romans 1. I mean, if you read Romans 1, that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Romans 2, Romans 3, you know, you should... Send them to Romans 3, 10 through 12. And uh, just make it a point of awareness. It's like, he, you're always, why do you always quote Romans to me? Don't you know anything else in there? I do, but everything is in Romans. And in fact, the entire, if, if there was a crescendo to the Bible, it's Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though, because I don't want you to go read Romans chapter 8. I want you to read, you got to start the music at the beginning. Like if you jump in the middle of the song, you're not going to get the crescendo. So you got to jump in at Romans 1, read through it, let it build, let it build. And you won't believe how the entire Bible peaks at Romans chapter 8. So you got that approach. You have just one verse. So do you have just one verse that you can build the entire gospel around? You know, your second Corinthians five twenty one. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you talk about that legal transaction that takes place. Romans six twenty three, which we start talking about tonight. Wages of sin is death. Titus 3, 5, our man verses that we hopefully memorized. Just keep building. Remember, the, uh, the idea is that these are doors that we're just walking people up to. This is repetitive for a reason because we learn through repetition. In your conversations, you're always thinking of these four doors. And always point them, take them to the God door. And what are you going to tell them about God? He created and owns everything. He's perfectly holy and he demands perfect obedience. And let your conversation start there. Now the, the storehouse of everything you know about God is behind that door. Everything you know about. So our goal is to be able to take them in there and to have conversations about God and who he is. Man falls into place. Tonight is really important because now we talk about Jesus. Came to earth as both God and sinless man. Demonstrated God's love by dying on the cross to pay sin's penalty. And rose from the grave and is alive today. So, those are really important points. Remember not just the four doors, but memorize, definitely memorize your bullet points under each one. You guys know your Bibles well enough. 
that you know the verses. These are great verses to memorize, but if you have other verses, um, go for it. But we want to drive home these bullet points. These are just important, essential points for us to have these conversations. So tonight we'll start talking about Christ. And hopefully we'll get into a little bit of what is true faith. So... As we begin, Will, you want to pray for us as we start? Sure. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for um, for this day. We thank you for the cooler weather that you've brought and the beautiful change of um, the leaves. Just you showing your, your creation in a new light. Um, it's beautiful. Father, um, I pray that we could use even that in our lives to start conversation with people about how we know the creator the one that's in charge and in control of that all and conversations that lead to you and lead to our need of a savior um, God I'm thankful for Jason for leading this class thankful for Leanne and Rachel thank you that we get to be here and grow closer to you Thank you. Amen. All right. So you remember last week, kind of where we left off was um, just talking about mm, having boldness. I don't have the boldness that I should. Um, I feel uh, if it's somebody that I know, it's easy for me because it's somebody that I know. But if it's people I don't know very well, um, it's, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm just not good at starting the conversation. And so kind of where we left last week was we were talking about it really stems from affection, right? Having an affection for Christ, a love for Christ, and that when you're reading and you're praying and it just, the joy, the worship just kind of overflows and it kind of overwhelms our weaknesses. And I think sometimes it can be, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but you know, you, you're having conversations with people and really, like when we talk about the most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think about who God is. Well, I mean, that's Christ, right? Like the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of who Christ is. There are so many people that call themselves Christians that deny a lot of really basic, super important things about Christ. And so, like, we get a lot of, one of the things that I get a lot is, you know, we, we believe the same thing. Like, we basically believe the same thing. Um, you know, don't, don't hassle me. <laughs> you know, we believe the same thing. They think we believe the same thing, but we don't. And it usually revolves around who Christ is, and what he did. Um, in God, in his holiness. Like, we don't understand God's holiness, so we don't understand our sinfulness, but we don't understand the, the person of Christ. So, uh, our first bullet point, Jesus came to earth as both God and sinless man. That's two different things, but both are really, really important. Uh, so, um, have you guys ever heard, have you ever been to the FOF class, Fundamentals of the Faith class with Terry? And did you know that there are online audio sermons that go with that, right? 
So if you go to gty.org slash FOF, and Dr. John MacArthur has a really great sermon on there about just the person of Christ. That's worth a, a listen to again. Um, of course, Pastor Bart's been taking us through that as we've been working through Colossians. All things hold together in him. I, uh, I'm a little bit of a science nerd. I don't, I don't, I like, I maybe know enough to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, even though I don't, right? You know, and you have to be careful with that stuff because you can get talking about things like the second law of thermodynamics or whatever. And if you don't know what you're talking about, right, you can paint yourself in a corner. But uh, one thing that I heard, um, remember we were talking about the magnets and how when you have the magnets that are the same charge, the same polarity, you can't push them together, right? And so when you think about us at the atomic level, protons and neutrons, there's no reason that they should be able to, like the atoms just by nature should be pushing themselves apart. Like matter should just be ripping itself apart because protons and neutrons both have a positive charge. So they should, they're just there. So how do physicists explain that? Glue. Nuclear glue. That's what it's called. Um, yeah, there is a special force. So there's uh, four basic forces in nature. There's um, electromagnetic force, right? There's gravity. There's strong force and weak force. And strong force and weak force really at the nuclear level. It, you'll see those, and that's what makes things like fission possible. But they can't really explain it. Like, there's just this force that holds everything together, this, this glue. And we know what that force is, right? What is that force? Colossians 1. Talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So who created all things? So when we're talking about, this is an important conversation to have. Your creator, you don't know me. Only God can judge me. Well, he does know you and he will judge you. And his name is Jesus. That's who the he is. And take them to Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Okay, so go back, listen to Pastor Bart's sermon 
on Colossians 1, uh, 15 and following, again, if you need to. But remember, there are a lot of people who deny the deity of Christ. Um, And I don't just mean like Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. And Mormons deny the deity of Christ. They think he's an angel. But if you just ask people, a lot of times just in um, in the same way, like they have a Christ of you know their own image that, like if I don't know what he's like, I imagine what he's like. And so if they don't know from the Bible what Christ is like, they imagine him to be blank. A good teacher, good man. Uh, He was wise, he was kind, he was giving, he was healing. But God? Uh, I don't see where it ever said that he was God. Did he ever claim to be God? Well, yeah. I mean, that's what they killed him for. And many times before, like they... That's why they were constantly trying to kill him. And ultimately, what he was killed for. His claim to be God. So Colossians 2.9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Another great memory verse. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. The people that Jesus was speaking to clearly understood his claim to be deity. And their response clearly demonstrates that. I mean, they picked up stones to kill him, to murder him for blasphemy. They knew exactly what he was saying. Of course, you probably have John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That whole section is really good to memorize. Um, in the beginning of John chapter 1. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 6-11. through 11, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is eternally God, Lord over all. Titus 2.13, 1 John 5.20, Revelation 17.14. In fact, the Bible, the whole Bible, is all about Jesus. That's the point of the whole Bible, is Jesus. So he's God, came to earth as God and a sinless man, which we'll talk a little more about. And he was also a human, right? Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Camp out there for a second. Say that again. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So even though he was completely God, Jesus was completely man. He encountered every type of trial, hardship, temptation, and emotion that we do, yet without any sin. He was completely holy, yet entirely human, sinless, yet sympathetic, Tempted, but invincible. Jesus set aside some of his divine privileges, his heavenly glory, 
his independent authority for a season and submitted to the Father's will in coming to earth, Isaiah 9, 6 and 1 John 3, 5. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus being tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let me ask this. If Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, but if he wanted to, could he have sinned? Could Jesus sin? So temptation. Yep. Say it's a beautiful woman. Um, Jesus encounters a beautiful woman. It, does Jesus in any way struggle with lust? Hmm? Your friends are confused too, right? This is an important one to get right. Even if he wanted to. Well, that's stupid right there because he wouldn't want to, right? So that, that's a wrong way of saying it. So what is temptation? If you are tempted. Oh, let me ask it this way. Is temptation external or internal? Yeah, when you're carried away by various passions, and yep. it's because you are, your passions are at war within you. Yeah. So, was Jesus, Jesus was sinless, right? We all agree. This will really make you appreciate who Jesus is all the more. Because Jesus is God. Is there any sin in God? Can God be tempted? Can Jesus be tempted? There's no sin in Jesus. Jesus does not struggle with sin. So when it says that he has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, it doesn't mean that an external stimulus stirred up sin in Jesus's heart and he had to fight that battle internally and have victory over it to come out victorious and sinless. Because what did he say? It's not the external you're being judged by, right? And a lot of people think that. People think that it's it's okay to look with lust as long as I don't act on it. And Jesus said, no, to look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. So the heart has to be pure. The heart has to be sinless. So what does this word temptation mean? That Jesus was tempted. This isn't an internal struggle. These are external things that you're being can we use the word tested? You're being tested by something externally. The internal is being tested by the external. Christ was tested from all kinds of external things in the same way that we are, yet without sin. He wasn't even tempted to sin. It wasn't even a struggle for him. Now us, on the other hand, we have sin in our flesh, so it is a struggle. So we have external forces, tests. We have external things that we bump into in life that stirs up sin. So you could have somebody drive by with some kind of a liberal bumper sticker on their car and it stirs up anger in you. Now that person didn't do anything to you. It's not like that person came and told you 
their liberal views just to poke you to try to get you to sin, right? They weren't coming at you, tempting you. Satan wasn't using somebody to come poke at you to tempt you. No. We are in a sinful world surrounded by sin and we're tested and tempted all the time. And so there's this sin that's inside of us that's constantly being stirred up. Okay, take all these stimuluses away from me and isolate me in a room by myself. Will I still struggle with sin? Yeah, because it's not just the external stuff, right? That's stirring up sin in my heart. It's the sin that is in me. I mean, that's the battle. So, I think that has really given me more of an appreciation for who Christ is. Knowing that it's not just that he sinned, he couldn't sin, because there wasn't even an inkling, a desire, a sinful desire in him. There was no sin to struggle with. That gives me, um, that gives me great confidence, right? Because I know who I'm placing my confidence in and I know what it looks like, right? Like that, that's where we're going. That's the direction we're moving. We will be made like him, not in this life, but we'll be made like him. And so when I sit and I think, when I encounter external things that bump up against me, whether it stirs up anger or jealousy or lust or whatever the sin is that is stirred up within you, you sit there and you're immediately at a fork in the road in your mind, right? And it's not even really about me anymore. It becomes about Christ. Like you're looking to who he is and you love him and you want to be like him and you hate sin and you want to be busy killing the sin in your life because you see that that sin is busy killing you. It's like rust to a car. You want to deal with it. It's a cancer. Just cut the sin out in your life, even if it's painful. Do battle with sin, looking to Christ, who he is, knowing that he has been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. That is our righteousness. And that is a glorious thing. I think we talk so much about words like propitiation and atonement, right? But we need his righteousness just as much as we need his atonement. So every communion, when you hold that bread, that bread is his body. That bread is his righteousness. And that grape juice that symbolizes his blood of the atonement. We need both. And we look to both. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what is coming at us. He knows what's hitting us. He knows what it's like to live in this world. It's just that internally, it's not the same. Like he doesn't struggle with sin, but he understands the sin that we're tested and tempted with. And he wants us to overcome sin. So he gives us the Holy Spirit that works the process of sanctification in our lives. So, fully God, sinless, but also 100% human. I think that's what separates him from every other person that anybody could ever bring up. You can't talk about Muhammad. You can't talk about Buddha. You can't talk about a pope. Uh, Gandhi, whoever, Mary, you can't talk about anybody in the same light 
as Jesus. Like, it's not even close. Jesus died on the cross, this is B, Jesus died on the cross to pay sin's penalty and to restore us to a relationship with God. Since God is loving, gracious, and merciful, he provided a way of salvation in Jesus Christ, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What mercy, what love. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And this is the climax, the pinnacle of the gospel message. Christ is the sin bearer. And this is where we're pointing ultimately every single conversation that we have with someone. All conversations always end up here. All roads lead to Christ. So no matter where your conversation starts, whether it's one verse, it's a just a talking about just how wicked can man be. Look at the way man is treating each other in war right now in the Middle East. Who slaughters babies like that? Unimaginable. Well, that's Romans 1. God gave them over to a depraved mind. So you might start there. Here's the thing. God is holy. And because God is holy and because we're wicked and True, they may be way more wicked than we are. They may be slaughtering babies. Wait, whoa, whoa, don't be putting me on the same level as them. Well, we're talking about standing on the beach in California trying to long jump to Hawaii. Like, it's hopeless. The chasm between man and God is so great, whether desperately wicked or desperately wicked like we're both desperately wicked god is so holy because he created and owns everything he's perfectly holy and he demands perfect obedience to his law and that's why we need christ so drive every single conversation back to the person of christ why christ because he is god in the flesh sinless and god poured out sin's penalty on him because the wages of sin is death that you learned from your previous card the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord how does that work well it was a legal transaction second corinthians five twenty one: god made him who knew no sin drive every conversation to christ because he is the cornerstone He's the only one who's ever lived without sin, yet he became sin to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf. He took the guilt of sinners upon himself and suffered God's wrath against it in his death on the cross. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, the sinless son of God treated as if he was the sinner. He took on himself the penalty of all those who would repent. He was sinless but he paid sin's penalty. And in turn, we are treated as if we had never sinned. I think the more sensitive you are to your sin, the bigger a deal that is, right? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be so overcome by my sin that I'm paralyzed with fear and guilt. And I sit and I struggle with assurance every single day of my life. Like, I don't want to be that, but at the same time, I don't want to feel so free in Christ that I sin safer. You know? I don't want to feel like I can continue in sin so that grace may abound. I don't want to feel like I can ever just sin freely because my sin is covered. So when we consider the links to which both the Father and Son have gone to secure our everlasting joy, 
we perceive God's love for humanity. He willingly delivered over his son to death. Romans 8.32, Isaiah 53.10. And the son willingly laid his life down. John 10.18. Bearing the full exercise of the father's wrath in our place. 1 Peter 2.24. So that we could be brought back to God. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. I really remember that first standing out to me as a new believer because I grew up believing that Christ was continually sacrificed on the altar for sins. Does that ring a bell? So the presence of Christ, body continually being broken, he, he died on the cross and that death on the cross for sins was being uh, not just content. Um, I, when I say it's a little bit of a misrepresentation for me to say that this, his death on the cross is being repeated over and over and over, even though it, it kind of is, and that's what it looks like, and it, it kind of is, right? But they would say it's a continual or a perpetual sacrifice. That's, I don't know. 1 Peter 3.18 clearly disagrees. He died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Christ's sacrifice atoned for the sin of everyone who believes in him, buying them back by paying the penalty incurred by sin. We'll talk about that again in a minute because um, if you listen to the gospel that we've heard, like the American gospel leads people to believe that Christ died for my sins. So I'm okay. Like it doesn't really matter if I go to church. It doesn't really matter if I continue sinning. It doesn't really matter if I think much about him. Um, because I saw a TV show late one night, kind of an infomercial thing. And I prayed the prayer with a guy at the end. And he said that, uh, if I believe if you prayed that prayer with me, I believe you just got saved. And then you go on living your life. And they think that they're okay. Uh, well, it's not exactly like that. Uh, C, we'll, we'll follow up on that. C, Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. When he rose from the dead, ascended back to the Father, he's Lord over all. So remember when we were talking about God in the beginning? This is really about us coming back under the authority of God. Like God created and owns everything, including you. And he has complete authority over you. Well, that's Christ. He is Lord. He's not just our Savior. He is Savior and Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And as the one who spoke a word and the wind and the waves instantly stop, right? Displaying power over creation. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey Him? Well, he's the same one that spoke all things into creation with a word. He created with a word. He stops the wind and the waves with a word. He is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, of course, he has power over death. 
So why is it crucial to include the resurrection in the gospel presentation? Because if you think about it, we don't talk about maybe the resurrection very much. Like we're just so focused on trying to get to the cross that um, it might, I'll be honest, I might, it's kind of a, a byline, right? It's kind of the end of the story and here's how it ends. And it's not just a byline to the gospel. The resurrection is God's undeniable proof to all men that Jesus' sacrifice is indeed sufficient to provide salvation for all who would believe. Acts 17, 30 and 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection and exaltation of Christ is proof that he is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Christ's resurrection is identified as the means of the believer's rebirth unto a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection assures us that Jesus is alive today and will soon return to judge those who have rejected the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Christ is the only way of salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way, the only one who can save us from hell. He's the only one who can forgive our sins, the only one who can restore us to the Father. John 3, 36, he who believes has eternal life. He who does not obey does not have life. So belief implies obedience, right? That's, that's part of repentance, so it's not that we're just calling people to believe. We're calling them to come back under and submit to the Lordship of Christ, to the Lordship of our Creator, God. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, active and working. And, you know, I think it's... Uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know, we, as the little black book, what is the gospel, says in there that, uh, you know, we want to be careful. That's the sharp ed edge of the sword that we want to be careful not to round off. Like you try to take the sharp edges off. That the reality is, he's coming back. And he's not coming back in the same way that he came the first time. He's coming back to judge. And if you die, we have no guarantee. We'll see tomorrow. If you die and you find yourself standing before the living God, what, what will you say? What will you say to him? How will you answer for your sins? And those are good questions to ask. Because that's when you get into the, well, I think my good will outweigh my bad. He sees my heart. But let me ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say, how much would you say you submit to him? How much of your life is submitted to Christ? Well, I don't know. If, I'm not sure if I would say that I submit. What if, uh, let me use this word. A disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ. Do you feel like you would call yourself a disciple of Christ? 
and I think people will hear disciple and they kind of tie that like with apostle or something They're like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just a regular guy. I'm sp- spiritual. You know, I'm not all self-righteous and stuff. We need to pull out of them. What do you believe about Christ and who he is and what he does? And what are the implications of that? You must repent and believe, not just believe, but turn, right? I was going this way, now I'm going this way. I was going south, and now we're going north. We're not going to turn around. We're not going to look south anymore. Don't go south. You were going south. South leads to hell. <laughs> you don't want to go south. Go north. Keep your eyes fixed on the north star, Christ. So this is where we bring everything together, everything that we've discussed, whether uh, whatever the format, whether it's a long conversation, short conversation, this is where um, our conversation really peaks. Christ accomplished everything through his death, applied to sinners like us through faith. And how do we become cleansed of sin and receive God's forgiveness along with the power to lead a new life of righteousness, the scriptures clearly teach that a person must be born again from above. That was a weird word to me. Like, I hadn't seen it before. I hadn't seen that. I mean, I'd heard it. I just thought it was a word that the weird people use. Like, I didn't know what kind of Christians they were. I just knew that they, you know, said, you need to be born again. And they waved their hands. I think I must have probably associated it with some kind of charismatics or something, you know. I just wasn't around it. But it was weird. And so when I read it in John chapter 3, you must be born again. I was like, well, I guess I better be born again. <laughs> Jesus said it. That's what we're calling people to. We're telling them, you must be born again. This new birth is a sovereign work of God's grace. All men are spiritually dead and Only God by His Spirit can accomplish this miraculous act. A lot of times I try to tell people that finding out, you know, in these conversations, uncovering where they are right now and saying, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation right now, that's the Holy Spirit. That is God tugging at you. He's calling you. He's tugging at your heartstrings. Is that true? The fact that somebody spiritually dead would have any interest in coming and talking to you about Christ at all. That is the call. It might be a general call of come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But if they are, if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved, right? The Lord will save them like Maybe one plants and another waters. You might be planting. You might be watering. You might be coming at the end, right where the fruit is bursting forth. But you're sitting there and remind them, God is calling you. That's the Holy Spirit calling you. Don't ignore that. Do you know how people just like are so hungry for a sign, right? What they always tell Christ, even though he's performing all these, what sign do you perform? The fact that God is even allowing us to have this conversation right now, that's a big deal. That is the closest thing we will experience to a miracle other than salvation, right? Salvation is the greatest miracle that we experience in our lives. And the fact that we get to have these conversations, that's a big deal. Don't ignore that. Encourage people to don't. Don't squelch that. It might not be a comfortable conversation, but neither is life insurance, right? And you need to have life insurance if you don't. This is a little more important than that. It's not a comfortable conversation, but we need to have it. Repent and believe. Christ is the North Star. Remember when we were talking about taking your spiritual blood pressure? What is your desire to submit to Christ? And where are you at right now? 
So your top number is desire. And if your top number on a scale of one to 10 is low, how much do you desire to submit your life fully to Christ? If that number is low, that means I'm, I'm not in the word enough. And I don't desire that because I'm not in the word. And then the second number is where am I right now? And if that number is low, it's because I'm not in the word enough. Well, in the way we're kind of asking them to do that same thing. Christ is the North Star. We're pointing them to Christ. You were going south, turn, go north. So you are in the slums of life. You ever see those videos? I have a, a friend that lives in India. You ever see the slums, like the images of like the sewage running down the middle of the street and little kids with plastic bottles scooping up whatever that filth is running down the middle of the street? Like they have no food, they have no water, and they're just living in filth, eating filth, drinking filth. And up on the hill is the king in the castle. And one day he comes riding down and he picks up this disgusting, filth-covered person, this kid, out of the sewers and cleans him up, puts him in his carriage, takes him up, they wash him, they put beautiful robes on him, a ring on his finger, and he adopts him. You are my son now. This is home now. I love you. You are mine. King goes to sleep at night, and he can hear the sounds from down the hill. He can hear his friends out there late at night in the street. He can hear their sounds, and he misses them. He misses it. So he crawls out of the window. He goes back down into the slums to hang out with his friends. And he's back in the filth. And the next day, sun comes up. The king goes to get his son for breakfast and he's not there. I bet I know where he is. And they ride back down into the slums, pull him out of the streets again, out of the filth, takes him back up. He says, what are you going back there for? Like, what is there for you? Like, you are my son now. Everything you want, everything you could ever want is here. Everything to make you happy, everything to keep you full, everything to keep you comfortable, everything you need is right here. Don't go back to the slums anymore. Stay out of the filth. That's what we're calling people to do. Christ is this way. We're going north. Why do you keep going south? You keep coming to me all the time with the same problem, the same relationship problem. Why do you keep going back to that guy? Why do you keep going back to the slums? Why do you keep going south when there is a king who loves you and wants to adopt you and make you his own? Call people to turn, to repent, to believe. Come to the one who loves you and gave his life in obedience to the Father to redeem you, your righteousness and your atonement. Repent of all that dishonors God. Remember in the very beginning when we started talking about God, why does God save? Besides for his glory, but he's saving us, he's saving people to be worshipers. Remember in the very beginning in chapter one, the point of evangelism is so that people would believe. God's ultimate purpose for evangelism is to glorify himself and salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory because if God doesn't save us to worship him, then there's no one to worship. Call people to come and worship him because he's good. He's good. Repent of all that dishonors God in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 and 11. Paul describes two types of repentance. There's a false repentance leading to death and the other which is genuine leading to salvation. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, 
what vindication in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So first there's a worldly sorrow. Just a sorrow of the world. Just, just sorry I got caught kind of sorrow. Motivated by fear of consequence and punishment. Just don't want to get busted and have to deal with the consequences of my sin. That's worldly sorrow. That's not the kind of sorrow that we're talking about here. Not human remorse that doesn't have a, you know, no saving capability. That still leads to eternal separation in hell. That's just wounded pride from getting caught in sin. False repentance, the kind that was demonstrated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to John for baptism. Matthew 3, 5 through 10 and Luke 3, 7. Despite their outward expression, they were motivated only to avoid coming judgment. Judas demonstrated that same false repentance after betraying Christ. Those who make this type of profession are not saved. Man-centered gospel messages result in this type of repentance. Just motivated by a desire for some kind of behavior modification. You know, just try a little harder, do a little better, you know, try to escape trouble. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, true repentance is turning from sin and turning to Christ as Lord and Savior. And what would cause you to have that godly sorrow? What is it that makes you feel sorrow for your sin? Right? It's, it's not just recognizing something. It's not like um, a simple kind of knowledge that doesn't change something in your life. Like repentance requires a submission of the entire person to Christ. Like you see in your life, like I just see who I is, who he is. I see who he is. You know, when we're talking about um, why do we evangelize? When you're in God's word, so remember the process again. We want people to hear so that they understand. We want them to understand so that they believe. Beliefs, convictions, convictions, affections. You're in God's word. Your theology is feeding your affections. And you say, Christ is too precious to me. I can't sin against him. I can't sin against him. Christ is so precious to me that it overflows into worship and evangelism and it also overflows in an overwhelming desire not to sin. But alas, it happens, right? Like you get caught off guard, you get slammed with anger, something happened, right? Like something triggered you and you blew up. Okay, what's the response? Godly sorrow is the response in the same way because you know who he is and it has revealed who you are. Godly sorrow, godly repentance, turn and have a genuine sorrow. Confess and agree. And next week we'll start talking a little bit about believing in Christ as Lord and Savior and then calling people to repentance and believing in Christ. Because they're either going to repent or remain under God's wrath. They're either submitting or they're refusing to submit. Bowing the knee or refusing to bow the knee. Okay. Any questions before we go? Right. But there's a back and forth. Like there's dialogue regarding 
like this invitation to sin and Christ says no. So he's resisting. Like there's an active right. Yeah, yeah. Holding yeah. back against something else instead of saying like, oh well, it wasn't even that his perfection also means that just wasn't even thought. Like, does that make sense? Can you kind of? Yeah, I mean, you're you're saying how do I, how do I marry perfect sinlessness with human flesh? Just like, did Jesus struggle with hunger? He got hungry. He got thirsty. I think it's not that he didn't respond. He responded. But that response wasn't a struggle, right? We have to think through, okay, how do I answer this? And it's possible, here's another place where it's possible where he slowed down and he thought, and he prayed first in John chapter 8. Remember where the woman is caught in adultery and thrown there, and he says he's drawing on the ground with his finger. Now, this is completely in the white lines between the text, and this is just me imagining. But in that moment, it's possible that he was tempted to lash out in anger against them. And in, what did he do? His natural reaction was to stop, pray, think this through. I don't think he was thinking it through, but I think he stopped. I think he prayed. What was he doing with his finger on the ground? I don't know, but I think he was praying before he spoke. So I don't mean that um, there wasn't, that his mind wasn't involved. The heart feeds the mind. The mind feeds the mouth. His heart was pure. So his heart was pure. He was thinking it through with a human mind from a sinless, pure heart. And then he spoke truth but I don't think he wrestled with sin. That doesn't mean that he didn't go through the process of thinking through what is the right response, but he was never, it wasn't a struggle for him. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to resist sin. Evil was external bumping right up against me and pressing me. And Satan knew all I have to do is get him to sin once, even internally. And he's disqualified and he's not our righteousness. And that was never for a moment a threat. Like his holiness was never threatened. So, yeah. I mean, I think he gave us a perfect example of the process of dealing with it and answering it. Because he was tempted externally in every way as we are, yet without sin. The difference is we have an internal struggle I think we have to fight the sin that's in us. And I don't think he had to fight that. So I don't know. That would be a good question. Go hit Pastor Bart or Pastor Steve with that <laughs> and see what they say. Bart would say emails like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> These are good conversations for believers to have with each other. And so um, when I, yeah. And as you think through that, think through, okay. Which, what answer elevates him? What elevates Christ and lowers man? Which, which view elevates who Christ is and what he's like and lowers me? And that's probably going to point you in the right direction right off the bat. But yeah, these are good things for us to think about and think through and go ask others about. <laughs>